Uh, Tuesday morning, I was on my way uh, up here to the church since I'm in the office, and I was on the phone uh, with a member of our congregation who was going through a rough time, and I got off the phone with him and uh, was heading into Chick-fil-A. So I had to start my day with the Christian breakfast. Um, and so I'm going through the drive to Chick-fil-A, and I'm just thinking about how every week I try, if I, if I don't, it's not because I, it's because I didn't remember, but I, I try to intentionally every week tell you that I love you and that I would be willing to do anything for you. Um, if anything happens, call me, email me, I'll get in touch with me. And I got off the phone, and I'm going through the drive and I'm just thinking about, that's true. I mean, that's really true. That's not just words to me. Like, like I really do love the people in the congregation. I really do want to help them and, and do what I can for them. And so I'm pulling up through the drive-thru. Now, Chick-fil-A servers are very nice. I'm very polite. And so she hands me my chicken minis. And she goes, have a nice day, sir. And I go, thanks, love you. And she looks at me like real awkwardly. And I look at her real awkwardly and then slowly drive away. Uh, so I'm kind of worried that there's a picture of my face in Chick-fil-A next to their drive-thru window. Um, worst pickup line ever. Uh, love you and then drive away. Um, but I figure, I figure you're doing church right if it's coming out uh, in places you don't necessarily want it to come out. Um, so I blessed somebody at Chick-fil-A this week. And I'm sure she had a good story to tell all of her friends. Uh, hey, if you have a Bible, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 is where we'll be. Uh, that's where we'll start today. We're going to kind of flip around a little bit. Uh, so I'd encourage you to have your Bible with you so you can follow us. Um, when I was a, a young kid, I, I had a lot of kind of wrong ideas about God and about Christian life. Uh, and so one of them in particular was I had this idea that I could make deals with God. Um, and then, I mean, he was somehow obligated to kind of keep those deals with me. And um, so what I would do, because uh, I wanted to play outside all the time. I wanted to go outside to basketball with my friends, do things like that. But I had to ask my mom's permission. Uh, so I had one of those little plastic basketball goals, this little basketball goal, and you hang on like the bunk bed and then like a little Nerf ball. And so I would make deals with God that I'd go somewhere in my room, be like, okay, if I make this shot, my mom will say, yes, I can go outside. And so if I missed a shot, I wouldn't ask. She was going to say no. If I made a shot, I would ask. And so I've, I've tried to remember, like, did it ever not work? I mean, did it ever, like, I made the shot, but then she said no. I can't remember because I was dead set that this is how life worked. Like, you just made these little deals with God, and he would tell you. I mean, he would tell you whatever you asked him to through, like, these series of circumstances. Um, and so I had kind of this um, weird kind of made-up view of God's will and how I could discern God's will. Um, and, and over time, grew out of it and grew into what I think is a more mature biblical understanding of it. Um, but as I've been pastoring and talking to, to people, um, I've found that, that some people I don't think have grown out of, of certain ideas like that. Um, and so when it gets to the idea of God's will, there's a lot of confusion um, going around over what it is, how do you figure it out, how do you use that in your life, um, and all those sort of things. So we're going to start a four-week series today um, called Knowing God's Will. And this is something that's grown out of maybe the past year of my life as I've walked with certain people uh, and really had this question placed on me in, in uh, multiple different relationships. Uh, and so we'll walk through it, and I think um, it will greatly help us in our Christian life. Uh, and so when I interact with somebody about the topic of God's will, it's always in one of two contexts, almost always. On one hand, it's either the person is, they come to me and they are frustrated or confused because they want to know God's will, but they can't figure it out. They can't quite decide on it. And so, I mean, typical questions are, what college should I go to? Should I go here and study? That's what my parents want me to do. I think I had more fun. I'd enjoy it better if I went here and studied. Um, and, I, and so there's these different colleges. And so, I mean, I've joked in the past. I mean, there's no, there's no verse in the Bible for that. 
I can't go to Ephesians and be like, God's an Aggie, ha, ha, ha. Uh, like, this, this is not there. Um, now, if he comes and asks, like, hey, should I stab somebody? I'm like, no, 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 that's in there. Like, don't do it. But there's no verse in the Bible I can go to and say, hey, we know for sure you're supposed to go to that college. Like, God told everybody. It's everybody's knowledge, public knowledge. Everyone knows you're supposed to go there. It's not there. And so what I've found is that people want to do God's will. I mean, it's not most of us. I think in this room, I, most of us, if God, if we knew God said, hey, go here. I think we'd do it. At least we'd want to. Like we want, if we knew God's will, we would want to obey. But it seems like, at least under the assumptions that we have been taught and kind of assimilated, um, most of the time we don't know God's will. It's a confusing or frustrating um, issue. And so that's um, one context that I constantly interact with people on this topic. The other is when somebody comes and saying that they know God's will. Sometimes it's a word like God told me or or God uh, showed me this. Um, but really what's happening is they're using that as an excuse uh, to either bully somebody else uh, or to make an immature decision without receiving criticism. And so, like I always get real cautious when says God told me to do something, and then that's all they can say about it. Um, because that's just a trump card. I mean, that's the, the ultimate trump card. God told me that I'm going to pay myself $500,000 uh, from the FCQ budget. And we don't even have that, so we're going to go into debt. But God told me it. So what am I saying? Well, you can't argue with me about it. I didn't even, it wasn't my decision. I didn't even think about it. So you have bigger problems with the big guy upstairs. I'm removing myself from the equation saying, hmm, this is not, it's a, it's a way to, to bully. It's a way to um, make an excuse. It's a way to make an immature decision without trying to receive criticism or um, kind of questioning about the decision that you're making. Um, now, I think that, and so those are the two. Almost every time I'm in a conversation with someone about God's will, they're either confused they're frustrated, they want to find it, they can't figure it out, or they think they've got it, and, and there's a lot of problems surrounding that. Uh, there's a lot of problems surrounding that. And those are almost always the two contexts that it occurs in my life as a pastor. Um, now, I think that an understanding from the scriptures of what God's will is, what it's not, and what it is, is going to address both of those problems and help us live mature, free, um, joyful Christian lives. And so that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We'll pick it up in Ephesians 5 and verse 15 this morning. And again, we'll flip around. This will be kind of our anchor text, though. Um, so I'll say this as we get started. For some, what we talk about over the next four weeks is going to be new. Um, you might not have ever heard it before. It might even be threatening. I mean, it might go against some of what you've been taught, some of what you've grown up with, some of maybe how you've lived your life a little bit. So we'll just agree from the outset um, that the scriptures are the ultimate authority for the Christian life. Um, so regardless of what things make us feel like or regardless of what we've been taught in the past, um, we go with the Bible, and so we look at the Bible and see what it says. Um, for others, I think this will be a real freeing uh, series. I think this will be um, something that is enjoyable. And then I think for most of us, honestly, for most of us, it'll be a series that confirms the way we live already. But we just don't have language for it. Um, and so I, I'm really looking forward to, to sharing with you. We'll pick it up in Ephesians 5, verse 15. He says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as the unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so I think it was right after New Year's, um, we walked through this passage in depth, and we saw a lot of things. Um, Ephesians is centered around chapter 4, verse 1, which says, I urge you to walk, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So the first three chapters are this outlaying of the gospel. This is who God is. This is what Christ has done for us. And then he transitions in verse 4. This is not how you should live. This is an appropriate reaction to the gospel. 
And this comes in part of that teaching. He says, look carefully. Examine your life. Don't just live through it without thinking about it. Examine it. Think about what you're doing, the time you're spending, the decisions that you're making. He says, be wise. We'll come back to that. It's important. He says, be wise. Don't be unwise. And he says, and don't be foolish, but understand what God wants for your life. Understand what the Lord desires, what his will is, what his choice, what his plan is for your life. And so that's where we get caught up. What is his will? And then how do we understand it? I mean, how do we find it? What code do we use to unlock it? What room do we look in to see it and to read over it and to digest it? And at this point, um, most of us are under the assumption that at some level, at some place, um, with some access, of, with some level of accessibility to us is a detailed blueprint for our entire lives. So... God has an idea. He has a choice for us of what college to go to. And he has a choice for us of what job to take and who to marry and all these things. And, and so he has this blueprint for us that would just give us a lot of wisdom. It would give us a lot of guidance if we could somehow unlock it. And so that's the big question is how do you understand what the will of the Lord is? What does he desire for our lives? Um, so I think to get us started uh, with this series, it'll help to look at traditionally the different ways that we've understood as Christians what this word means, the will of God, it doesn't occur in the scriptures that often. Um, just a, a couple dozen of times, really. I think next week I'll have a handout out there with every single time it's listed. Um, because I think some of you won't believe some of the stuff I say this morning. Uh, so we're going to shove information at you um, so that there's no way really you can doubt what, what's being said. Um, but it's not that often. And when you see it in scripture, this phrase, the will of God, God's desire, God's plan for you, it occurs, tradition says, in three different senses. It has three kind of different meanings or contexts, levels of interpretation. The first one that we'll look at is um, called God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will. And so here's our basic assumption as we start. The first basic assumption is that God cares deeply about the way you live your life. So Christianity is not a live a horrible life and apologize on your deathbed and everything's cool. I mean, it's not the story of Christianity. It's not what our faith is about. God cares very deeply about the decisions you make, both big ones and small ones. He cares very deeply about how you talk to people, how you um, treat your wife or your husband and your kids, how you act at work, how you act in the house. He cares very deeply about those things. They're big deals to God. And over and over in the scriptures, he's going to call out his people for not caring as much as he does. And the second, our, our assumption is he has a specific purpose for you. The scriptures say we're not just randomly living here. We're not just wasting time here. Um, but that you are where you are with the people around you at the time period that you're there for a reason. You're at your school right now for a reason. You're in that class right now for a reason. You have those neighbors right now for a reason. The reason being for you to follow and know God, enjoy Him, receive salvation, and then also to spread that, to be a light in darkness, to be a minister of the gospel, to go be a part of His redemption in all of creation. And so with those two assumptions, we're going to move into the, these three categories of um, how would we understand the will of God, God's desires. The first one, like I said, is His sovereign will. His sovereign will. Um, and so if you have a Bible, um, we finish writing that down. Flip to Psalm 115 with me. Psalm 115. We're going to look at just a couple verses for each of these uh, to help us get an idea of what we're, we're talking about. Um, God's sovereign will. 
Sometimes when you see the word or the phrase rule of God in the scriptures, we're speaking of what we would call, theologians would call, Christians would call, his sovereign will or his supreme will. 115, I'll pick it up in verse 1. We'll read the first three verses. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that pleases him. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that pleases him. So here's what the psalm is saying. God has never wanted to do something and not done it. God has never wanted to move this to here and not done it. God has never tried to do something and not been able to do it. Um, so this means a couple things. One, he's a happy God. He's not frustrated. He's not anxious. He's not worried. That means he's not surprised when things happen. He does whatever pleases him. He's not a nervous wreck up in heaven. He's relaxed. He's sovereign. And everything that happens is somehow within his pleasure. Is somehow under his control. So I, I, we were doing a high school Bible study a couple summers ago, and we had a group of high schoolers, and there was a kid uh, in there who was kind of new to his faith, real raw. Um, and so we were going through a summer of Psalms. And now when high schoolers get this aha look on their face, you're always kind of curious about what's about to come out because there's a very thin line between heresy and brilliance. Um, and so you're always like, okay, where is this coming out on here? And so this kid gets this real, like you can just see in his eyes, like, oh my gosh, it just all clicked for me. So I'm like, hey, we want to share with the group. And he goes, God is a gangster. And I'm going, okay, I don't know where this falls. This side, this side. I'm like, okay, explain. Like, flush it out. And he goes, this is the definition of a gangster. And he's super excited at this point. He's like, a gangster does what he wants, when he wants to, however he wants to do it. And I'm like, oh, I still don't know. I still don't know where it lands here. <laughs> I was like, I guess we could kind of run with that. Okay, yeah, this is, this is the picture of God. He's not... A frustrated God. He's not a weak God. He's in the heavens. He does whatever pleases him. This is his sovereign will. Everything is a part of somehow, mysteriously, what God wants to do with creation. Um, now, flip over to Proverbs, right to your right. We'll be in chapter 16. I'll show you a couple of these. Proverbs 16, so we can get kind of a, a lay of the land here. We'll be at the very end of 16 in verse 33. Scripture says this, The lot, so think dice or like a flip of a coin, the gambling, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Here's what Proverbs is saying. You flip that coin as many times as you want, every single time it lands exactly how God wants it to land. There's no random accident in the universe. This is his sovereign will. He is supernaturally guiding everything that happens on earth for his purposes. Now flip back to Ephesians. This is the last one we'll look at. Ephesians chapter 1, though. The very beginning of Ephesians. Maybe the most clear passage we have on his sovereign will. Ephesians 1, we'll pick up in verse 11. It says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, our salvation, having been predestined or chosen according to his purpose, the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So here's what the scriptures are saying here. Every, how many, all things, 
all things, every single thing that has ever happened and ever will happen in all of history is somehow worked out by God like a master chess player for his purposes. Romans 8 would say a similar thing. For those who love God, who are called according to his purposes, everything works for good. That there's nothing that will enter into your life that will make God nervous or that will make him have to switch to plan B for you. No, everything is being worked out for his purposes, for his good. For his good. He's not surprised. He doesn't turn to the plan B um, when things come into it. Now, this doesn't mean that humans don't have freedom uh, or that things don't occur in creation that technically aren't his will, that he wouldn't desire, that he doesn't want. What it means is that outside of that freedom, so you and I make choices, and he's still like a masterful chess player, works out even the most evil and wicked thing for his purposes. That's what's happening here. I would say probably most of what happens on the earth is not technically his will. We sin and we sin and we sin and we sin. But God has yet not been surprised and has yet not been able to turn it for his purposes. The biggest, clearest example of this is the cross. So in Acts 2, there's a sermon being preached and he's talking to the people who killed Jesus. He says, you put him up on that cross and killed him. And then the phrase after it says, Acts 2, according to God's eternal plan. So the most wicked, evil act in all of creation was a move that God had planned on. He saw how that freedom was going to be used. And he said, I'm working it out to my good, to the good, to his great act of salvation where he forgives our sins. So God's sovereign will is his secret plan that governs everything that happens. And so sometimes when you see the will of God, you see that phrase, you're thinking of his sovereign will. It's his will that he works out no matter what happens. This means that you can't be outside of it. You can't step out of his sovereign will. I mean, you, there's not a box that you could get outside of. He would have planned that. I mean, that would have been part of his purposes. So every single one of us, no matter what's happened in our life right now, is right smack dab in the middle of his sovereign will. Which means, one, we don't need to worry. So there's no freaking out about what his will is. We're there. We're in it. I mean, there's no way out of it. Two, it means we can't know in advance. We cannot know this in advance. His sovereign will is a mystery. It's not given to us. And really, the only way we realize it is in hindsight. We look back and go, that was part of his purposes. And that's how life works, right? Something bad happens to us. We're confused and upset at the time. And we look back and see all the good things that God did through it. That's his sovereign will. He's working all things for his purposes. Now, as we move on, there's a thing called his moral will. And so other times when we see the word will of God, his desire for our life, it's a moral or ethical. It's a command for the type of person that we should be. So flip to Romans 2 for me. Again, we'll get a couple of verses under our belt um, to get kind of a, a feel for what's happening here. Romans chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 17. Paul says this, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and you know his will and approve of that which is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others do not teach yourself. So here he uses the word will. He says, you who know the will of God, but what's he talking about? The law. He's talking about 
commands God had given his people on the type of person they should be. So God gives them the law and says, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. This is how you should worship me. This is how you should treat the people around you. This is how you should do justice in your communities. God comes and gives clear commands. And the scripture says, that is his will. That's his desire. We've been given it. This is what he wants for our lives. It's a type of being. It's a type of living. Um, now flip to 1 Thessalonians 4. Over to your right. This will be the last one we look at for this one. Um, if you've hit Hebrews, you've gone too far. 1 Thessalonians. We'll be in chapter 4. We'll pick up in verse 3 here. Sometimes when you see the word will of God, you're looking at a sovereign will. Sometimes when you see the word will, you're looking at a moral will. Here it should be obvious what we're reading. Verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Very clear. This is what God wants from you. This is his plan for your life. This is his blueprint for how you should live. What does he say? Your sanctification. This big church word for living right. Obeying his commands. Leaving your sin behind gradually. And becoming holier and holier, looking more and more like God in His image. Paul says, this is His will. This is what's been revealed to us. We know exactly what He wants from us. And it has to do with the type of person that we are. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger. And these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. He, he, he's using this word, will of God. He says, this is the will of God. Here it is. You want to know what God's plan is for your life? Paul says, it's not the shoes you put on this morning. It's not the car you bought. And it's not the college you went to. It's that type of person that you would be. A person that loves God and leaves their sin behind. That grows holier and holier and holier. So the moral will of God is God's clear commands about the kind of person that he wants us to be. Now, if you think and compare this to the sovereign will, this is something that we can miss. You can't get outside of the sovereign will. You can and do get outside of his moral will. God tells us, don't do this, do this, and we disobey. We're outside of his moral will. We're not doing what he wants us to do. God clearly commands us about what type of person we should be. So you and I are commanded... To, to obey, to, to follow, to receive those commandments. And notice again that this is already revealed to us. So the moral will of God is not something we need to find. It's not something that is hidden somewhere, that we need some kind of code or password to get to. It's here. We have it. And it's fairly clear. This is the type of person you should be. This is God's will for your life. This is his plan, his guide, his desires. For the decisions you make. Now, the problem with this up to this point is that most of the decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis aren't helped by the sovereign rule or the moral will. So most of our decisions, like we mentioned at the beginning, are what college to go to. Now, I mean, if we're, the choice is between a college where we'll receive a great education and um, be grown in our faith and there's a good Christian community there and then a college where um, like you are for sure going to be thrown into the pit of hell uh, and there's going to be no Christian accountability there's going to be no like it's just a bad situation oh well, then yeah 
Maybe you could figure out where he wants you to go from his moral will. Stay away from temptation. Surround yourself with believers, with witnesses. But if the choice is between two okay colleges, the moral will doesn't help you that much. It doesn't help you that much. So think of the moral will like a circle, like a fence. It's a guideline. It says stay here, stay within these boundaries. And so what we've done to help and to kind of put the pieces together is we've said there's got to be another will that actually would apply to our day-to-day situations. And so we call that God's individual will. His individual will. And the idea behind this is that God at some point in some place has laid out a detailed, thorough blueprint of the choices he wants us to make. All the way down. So from eternity, he said, this is who I want you to marry. This is what I want you to drive. This is the job that I want you to have. This is where I want you to go to church. The big decisions and the small decisions. God has a blueprint for us. And so our job is to discover it. To find it. It's a specific, detailed plan for our lives. And we have to seek it out somehow. Which is where the confusion starts. That's where the confusion starts to come in with God's individual will. It's not there. It's not clearly revealed to us. We've got to somehow decode it. We've got to somehow find it. It's like hide and seek. Where is it hiding? How do we figure it out? Now, the problem, and there's multiple problems with this. Um, The first problem is that there's no place in Scripture that tells us how to do this. It's not in there. There's no place in Scripture that says this is how you should understand and find the will of God. And so what we've done is we have assembled a series of techniques and some work better than others Um, some are clearer than others some are more disruptive um, and violent than others Um, so here are some big ones one we look for signs in our day-to-day life like circumstances and so we might have used this phrase before well god opened that door for me and so i walked through it it was a sign that he wanted me to go there which can be wise that can be good now the problem with basing a decision off of that and that alone is that you can interpret a circumstance, the same circumstance, in different ways. Who gets to decide? I mean, are you smart enough to make that decision? Did God open that door for you to walk through, or was it Satan as a trap, as a temptation? I mean, how do you figure that out? If you're just reading the signs. And so I remember I was in a a, a church service once, and there was a speaker, and he was talking about the Passion of the Christ. uh, The Mel Gibson movie, um, real graphic depiction of Jesus' death on the cross. And apparently, if I'm getting the details right, the guy who played Jesus was struck by lightning at least once, maybe a couple times during the filming of the movie. And so it was this big dramatic story. And before I continue the story, you should realize that you're on my side of the story, okay? So you like me. You don't think I'm a jerk. Or you think I'm respectful. Um, so he's telling this huge dramatic story. And he says, clearly, his big point, clearly Satan did not want this movie to be made and people to watch it. And I lean over to the person next to me and I go, what if it was God? I mean, what if it was, what if we horribly misinterpreted that? What if God himself is like, I'm trying to kill this dude, but this movie is getting made. The same exact circumstance. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. The same exact circumstance. Two entirely different meanings. Who gets to decide? I don't think I'm smart enough to make that decision just based off reading circumstances. And so here's how this really gets played out. I think more, than, more often than not. 
we think that, that we have some kind of inward feeling that God will speak to our heart. And again, that can be wise and that can be used properly. But when that itself is the only thing, again, we're on dangerous territory. Um, because until you and I are in the new heavens, new earth, have been fully recreated, our hearts are tainted by sinful desires. Mine is and so is yours. My heart very easily lies to me. In fact, it's the best thing I know that can lie to me. It knows me inside and out. It knows exactly what I want. It knows the itches that I have. And it knows how to rationalize things so that I'll believe it. It's, it's sinful. It's still fallen. Now it's being transformed, but it's still fallen. So I don't necessarily trust what my heart is telling me to do. If anything has been taught to me in my life, it's that my heart will lead me down the wrong way. If it's not filtered through something more powerful and something more clear than that. There's problems. We don't know how to find the individual will of God. And so here's my premise, my belief, and what this series will be built around. is that there is no individual will of God. There is no detailed blueprint for you to somehow find and decode. God has not sat down and determined what kind of shoes you would wear this morning. He does not have a choice for um, you to choose between two good options. Now, again, if it's a bad option and a good option, there's a clear choice there. His moral will. But if there's two good options, maybe there's not some kind of code that you need to find somehow. Maybe it's not there. So here's what I would say to you. Um, you will not find, there's a bold statement, you will not find one instance in the scriptures with the words will of God that talks about an individual will. It's not there. Look through all of them multiple times. We'll go through all of them in the four weeks of this series because it's not that many. We'll go through other ones that don't include it, kind of imply it. And here's what I'll say to you as well. Some of you right now should be um, thinking, no, 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 what about this verse? What about this verse? What about this verse? What about this verse? What about the guy? What about what the guy said at my graduation ceremony? What about that? So you should have things come up. There's an email address that we created, kgw at fc3.org, knowing God's will. Um, if you email a question or a comment, uh, you will get a reply. And if you include a text, we'll promise you that text will come up in a sermon and will be explained in very detailed fashion. Because here's what I will tell you, and we'll walk through all of this. Every time you see this phrase or idea, the will of God, you're looking at either the sovereign will of God or the moral will of God. There is no individual will in the scriptures. It's not in the scriptures. So go to Romans 12. We'll just look at a couple. Again, we're going to walk through all of them. There's not that many. Romans 12. This is a big one for us. And so again, for some of us, this is a lot to digest. For others... I mean, it's kind of, it makes sense. It put words to how we've always thought about things. So nobody, I mean, here's, nobody actually lives like there's an individual will of God. At best, it's very inconsistent. So this morning, I walked out the door on my way here. Wanted to get here a little bit early to get some things done and to finish preparing. Um, and I forgot to put on my watch. And I already got out of the door. I locked the door. Um, and I was like, gosh, oh, I go back and get my watch. Um, well, I didn't stop and think, well, first of all, does God want me to go back and get my watch? Like, is this, and, and so I'm not being silly here. 30 seconds can change your entire life. Me going inside could put me in the middle of an intersection with another car running a red light. It could be a big decision. It could be a big decision. But instinctively, I'm not going, I mean, does, 
what has God planned for me to make decisions? What I'm doing is I'm moral choices. Immediately, there's no moral option here. There's no moral will. I'm not disobeying anything by going to my watch. And I use wisdom. What do I think is wise? Well, I think it'd be wise. It won't take that much time to go to my watch. I want my watch so I can see how long I'm going, how hungry people are. I make a decision. I go and do it. Now, we come back to this. So we make daily, daily, daily. If you operated on this understanding, you would not get anything done in the day, ever. I mean, that's kind of the big joke of um, some people who really emphasize God's sovereign will, that everything happens to his purpose. They're like, well, then you'd be stuck. I mean, you'd be stuck thinking, like, is this according to his purpose? Is this according to his purpose? Is this according to his purpose? Um, you, you would have no freedom, and you'd have no trust in God that he would work out all things for your good. Um, so there's problems with that. Um, another problem, before we get to Romans, is often we get this idea that there's an individual will for our lives from examples in the scriptures. So don't mishear me. There are times in the scriptures where God comes to somebody and says, this is what I want you to do. And they, in that moment, now have an individual will. Those examples, though, um, two things. One, are in there because they're exceptional, not normative. They were never... Ex- they're never put in there to expect that every decision should be like that. And I have no reason to expect that that has stopped. <coughs> no reason to think that maybe God doesn't still do that. That he still won't do that to you, to me. No reason at all. But it's not something I expect. It's not normative for my life. Second, um, every time that happened, every time, we'll go through some of these, it was supernatural and obvious. Not once was it an inward feeling or a vague circumstance. In fact, I've read through Acts, um, not once do you see an apostle explaining a decision with God told me, even when God told them. Paul most um, characteristically explains a decision, both in Acts and in his epistles, with this phrase, it seemed best to me. Over and over and over again. It seemed best to me. It seemed best to me. He said it made sense in my mind, and it fit with everything else I knew about what God wanted, and what I was aiming for with my life and my ministry and it seemed best that I go here and I do that that I stay there that I leave there it seemed best to me so Romans 12 all that means nothing if it's actually in the Bible Romans 12 verse 1 I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect? Mike, you just read the verse that sinks you. There it is. There it is. There's your steps. Here's how you find it. There's a perfect will that you need to understand. So if I have a big decision and I'm seeking the will of God, here it is. Prove it. Understand it. Find the will of God for your life. So here's what we need to ask when we see the word will of God. What context is this in? Is this his sovereign will? No. Why? Well, primarily because we can't know his sovereign will. He's saying know it. Find out. Um, now, is this his moral will? I think so. I think it'd be hard to argue that it's anything else. Um, so in Romans, if you know the structure a little bit, 1 through 11 is doctrine, theology. It's what Christ has done, who Christ is. And then in 12, he shifts, like he does in Ephesians chapter 4. And he says, I urge you, brothers, because of the mercy, because of all I just talked about Christ, Offer your body sacrifices, holy, living, worshipful, understanding what the will of the Lord is. But the, the chapter doesn't end there. The book doesn't end there. 
from 12 on, you have the will of the Lord. Now, what is it? Moral, ethical commands. This is the type of person that God wants you to be. This is the type of person that God wants you to be. Beyond that, there's lots of little reasons why um, this would be a moral will. If you look at it, good, acceptable, and perfect are words very similar to the words he uses in chapter 7 when he describes the law. He's saying this has always been the way it is. What God reveals to us is good, it's acceptable, it's perfect, it's edifying for us. It should be followed. This is, I urge you, based on who Jesus is, to, to obey, to, commit, to, to follow his commands, to understand them, to let them sink into your life and to, to live out um, through your actions, through your decisions. Now go back to Ephesians 5. This will be the last place we flip. We're done. Ephesians 5. Um, so here's what we're going to do throughout this series. We'll look at a passage, and it will look to us like maybe this is an individual will, and every time we'll all get a little bit nervous. Um, and then we're going to look at context. Context is king. What's around the verse? And it's going to explain it. Um, and so look up to verse 3. Because here we have, understand what the will of the Lord is. This could be an individual will. But if you look at verse 3, what's he talking about? Sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. That there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead that there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do not be partners with them. At one time you were in darkness. Now you are in light. Walk as children of the light. The fruit of light is found. And that's good, right, and true. Sounds interesting, those three words. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Anything that is visible is in the light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Then he says, So look how you walk and know what the will of the Lord is. What's the will of the Lord? Don't be filthy. Don't be sexually immoral. Don't be jealous. Don't envy. Don't commit idolatry. Follow the commands he's given you. The will of the Lord here and elsewhere is not decisions between good and good. The will of the Lord is not about what car you would drive or what house you would live in. It's about the type of person you'll be, which in turn will affect those decisions. <coughs> it will affect those decisions. This is the will of God. So if it's true that there is no individual will in the scriptures, um, then it would make sense that there would be lots of problems when we try to find it. And again, that's my life for the past three years. There's lots of problems when you try to find it. Um, you end up hurt and confused and wondering why a God who says uh, in First Timothy, you have everything you need to live your Christian life is hiding stuff from us. Again, if we were just told, we would do it. If we just knew for certain what it was, we would do it. Why is this so difficult? Why do we have to look around the corner for it? So what happens when... So this is... I love this. Um, in Christian youth kind of in Christian youth groups or Christian schools, sometimes this will happen, um, to a young man, a young woman will be dating in a dating relationship, um, and one of them will decide to break up with the other. So let's say the young lady says, I'm done with him. Um, she will go to him and say, God told me to break up with you. And I've always thought that was real funny because at that point, not only is she breaking up with you, but God is in a sense rejecting you as well. Like he's in on the whole deal. Um, and it's just like, how awful of a situation is that? Um, I mean, God has colluded with this woman to be like, nah, leave him alone. Uh, but here's what's happening here. Either she has no reason, 
and she just wants an excuse to do it. I, I mean, I don't imagine why. Or she has lots of reasons. She doesn't want to say them. That's what happens. You don't want to hurt someone's feelings. This is an easy way to put something right in between you. I mean, the reason is you smell bad. I don't like talking to you. Uh, you never treat me well. I mean, you're just a horrible person. I don't want to be around you. It comes out as God told me. And so, yes, it could be perfectly true that God led you to that decision. There's nothing wrong with that. What might be immature is to hide behind the God told me, as if that was the only reason. We'll see that scriptures command us. Part of his moral will is that you and I use wisdom. Wisdom means thinking things through, having reasons, looking at the future, looking at the past, considering options. Where you've used wisdom, you should be able to communicate that wisdom with other people. So if you were to come to me and sit down in my office and have a question about a decision that I've made, you should be disappointed and upset if all I can give you is God told me. At that point, I'm either hiding something from you, which maybe I have to do because of the circumstance, or I have no reason. And I can tell you this, any decision you would come up to me and say, hey, why'd you do that? Why'd you go there? Why'd you? I'd probably be able to give you three or four reasons. Well, this is how I think it fits into my ministry. I feel like God has called me to minister to this group of people and to expand my influence here. And I felt like accepting that offer was a great decision. I felt like going up in Dallas, that D now, even though I had to drive back late Saturday night, I felt like that was good for my ministry. I felt like it was good for the kingdom. I felt like that wouldn't hurt what God has already called me to. There's wisdom behind it. That's part of God's moral will. Where there is no wisdom, you're outside of his moral will. So we'll wrap it up this morning like this. We're just getting our feet wet. We're, we've got the next three weeks to really flesh this out and explore it. Um, but here's an overview. What decision-making should look like uh, if we're getting biblical? Um, first, we're God. Um, yeah, we already went through all that. Um, it never occurs outside of the first two uses, the sovereign will, the moral will. And we're never told how to discern God's individual will. Again, email me with a text. We'll talk about it. I'll get back to you, and then we'll talk about it with your permission. Um, that's your biblical. Biblical guidelines for decision-making. This is a huge overview that we're going to flesh out in the next few weeks. First, when God commands something, we must obey. Seems obvious. Not so obvious, though. So I'm always just real amused when, when someone is trying to convince me that God has this unusual will for their life um, when they're not obeying what he clearly has told them to do. I'm like, well, you kind of, I mean, you've jumped the ship a little bit. Um, like, he told you not to talk like that. He told you not to do that on the weekend. He told you not to, but you've concocted this weird will of God that now you're going to obey? Like, why not obey all the things that are clearly revealed to you in the scriptures? So where God commands, we obey. That's not an option. God cares about how we live our life. But what happens when there's no command? So again, not between a good school and a bad school. I think you have a, a decision there. Go with the good school. Go with the school that will increase your faith, that will help your witness, that will let you transform your mind more and more so that you can use it for God's glory. The decision between a good school and a good school, what do you do there? Between two things that are inside the circle of his moral will. Is there a dot that you need to stand on? Or is there freedom? Is there freedom? Where no command is given... I think we are to apply wisdom. And so this is where the language gets a little confusing um, because wisdom is technically a command. We're commanded in the scriptures to have wisdom in our decisions. You see it here in Ephesians. Don't live as unwise, but as wise. So technically not applying wisdom to it would be breaking his moral will. But, but for the sake of just a flow of thought, 
If it doesn't fall in his moral will, you're commanded to apply wisdom. And then, within the freedom of God's given wisdom, we are to rest and trust that there's nothing that we can do, there's no decision we can make that what? Is going to surprise God. That's going to make him go to plan B. We rest his sovereign will. We rest knowing that if it's within his moral will, you can't make a wrong choice. There, there might be two things that are right and okay to do. There's freedom. So part of the Christian faith is growing up, is maturing. We've talked about that a little bit as we were wrapping up the Hebrew series for a while. Um, and part of that is, is filtering kind of what we've been taught and kind of assimilated into our lives. There's some phrases that the Christians use that maybe don't make that much sense, at least biblically. There's some things that we practice that maybe don't have a biblical foundation. Part of growing up is figuring this out. What does life look like following God? What does the scriptures command us how to live, how to understand God's will? I think there's freedom given to us. I think there's wisdom given to us from God. We're to use that. I think this one alleviates stress and confusion. If you have two good choices... <clears throat> You're not going to go wrong. You're not going to do something that makes God disappointed in you. You're not going to somehow miss out on what God had planned for you. Or what God wanted to give you. His best. His fullness. You won't miss. You can't step outside of that. And then two, you and I are, are given the power to confront immature decisions. By the time usually this is happening, it's too late. I mean, to talk about definitions and go through the scriptures. That's why it's good to have this down. That's why it's good not to be intimidated and says God told me to. That's why it's good to know what you mean when you say it. Again, I'm not saying language of that is necessarily wrong. I'm not saying reading signals and circumstances is wrong. I'm not saying inward impressions are wrong, the desires of your heart. Those all, though, have to be filtered through wisdom, through God's revealed will for our lives. They don't stand on their own as if we could somehow interpret God. So what happens if I say God told me A and Michelle says, well, God told me B? I mean, at that point, do we have a spiritual arm wrestling match? I mean, just see who is more superior in our, our relationship with God? What, what happens there? Well, in, in the Christian community, you, you would lay out your wisdom. This is why I arrived at that conclusion. Michelle would lay out hers. We'd agree on something. The community around us would look at it and, and weigh the options. The, the Bible commands us to, to be wise. Part of faith is, is learning how to do this. So don't mishear this, because some people wonder if God has no individual will for a life. Or at least if it's not there for us to find. I hold out the option that maybe there is. So maybe he has laid out every decision for us. But at the very least, he's never commanded us to look for it. He's never told us how to look for it. There's lots of problems with it if we're trying to find it. Um, but if that's not there, if that's not for us to access, if that's not the goal of us trying to make decisions, some people start to wonder, does God really care that much? Does God really care that much? I mean, he's God. I mean, he could figure out what kind of shoes I was going to wear this morning. And he could tell me that. I mean, life would be easier. Again, if I was told clearly from God what to do, I would, I would do it. I would try to do it. I would want to do it. That's where, the, that's where my heart's at. I want to obey. I want to follow him. But I, I would encourage you to think of it like this. Parents who have kids, um, now when they're younger, you, you make a lot of decisions for them. Go to bed. Brush your teeth. Stop doing that do this, go to school, things like that. Now, as they grow up, what's the goal of parenting? To micromanage and micromanage and micromanage until they have no decision-making at all? You get a really maladjusted child who's going to have a hard time living as an adult. 
the goal of parenting? Give them wisdom and then step back slowly, making sure they apply that correctly. And where you need to step in and guide them, where you need to maybe override a decision, maybe not let it happen, maybe close a door, but you give them wisdom. Here's what you're doing. You're trying to make them into the type of person that will lead them to the right things. God cares deeply, more than you could realize about every decision you make, big ones and small ones. But he's revealed his will for us. This is the will of God, that you be sanctified, that you be a type of person that would then be able to enjoy the freedom that he's given you and trust at the end of the day that he is in control and will work all things to your good. This is an appropriate reaction to the gospel, Paul says, because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. This then is how we should live. Don't be foolish, he says, but understand what is actually God's desire for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time this morning. I thank you for um, your scriptures. I pray as we start this journey um, through this idea and this topic and through multiple scriptures in your um, word given to us, that you would speak and that you would clarify uh, that where um, my understanding is limited, you would um, increase my knowledge and increase my wisdom. Um, where our understanding is limited, you would do the same. Um, I pray that as we walk through this, pieces in our life would click. Um, things would, would start to come together for us. And, and really, here's my hope, um, just as a pastor, someone who loves the people around him, I hope that we would be able to live full Christian lives. That we wouldn't be hindered by things that we don't need to be hindered by. That we'd be able to live wise lives, lives that truly are what you desire from us. And in so doing, we would enjoy you. We'd find life. We'd find your best. And we'd be able to fulfill our purpose. A purpose that's much bigger than some of the things that we, we often worry about. Father, open our eyes up to, to what you really desire, to the ways we fall short of that every day, and to how, how we can live and breathe and move in your kingdom with your redemption happening all around us. We love you. We need you. Listen to your son's name we pray. Amen.